thanks for listening to Connection Church's podcast. We continue in our series titled 50 Shades of Grey, the Black and White on Sexual Issues, and discuss the topic of homosexuality. Senior Pastor Brandon Williams addresses how the church has done a great job at telling people what we're against, but it's time to start telling people what we're for. Morning, church. Hope everybody's doing good. Everybody good this morning? How about some uh, Georgia Southern football yesterday? Anybody go to the game? Wow. Ridiculous, um, and, uh, but awesome at the same time. So that was awesome. Man, we're glad you're here today. If you are um, uh, an, an old-timer, you've been here for a while, man, we're glad you came to worship with us today. Also, if you're here for the first time, and we are pumped you are here, you decided to worship here with us today, and we just pray that God will speak to your heart, that God will touch your life, and God will do incredible things um, in and through you um, as you leave this place and as we go forward from here. Um, I'd also like to say if you're a first time guest, you did not know what you were walking into. Surprise, right? I said that last week because we are in the most intense series we've ever done here at Connection Church. And, um, but you know, here's what I believe. I believe that when you take big steps of faith for God as he leads you, that he does big and incredible things. And so I'm really believing today that God's going to do some amazing things in the hearts of people. Um, and, uh, and I'm just looking forward to seeing all that he does. Um, one of the things I want to just talk about real quick, because I've been getting this question a lot, is why have we picked the four topics that we're discussing during this series? Why do we um, pick these topics um, of uh, pornography, homosexuality, abortion, and sex? And um, number one, I believe that's what God told us to do, okay? Um, number one. Number two, um, it kind of makes sense when you look at the topics and you look at our culture. Um, these are four of the most prevalent, most... Um, I guess, uh, just prolific topics that we have in our culture today. And, and to be quite honest, one of the reasons I'm glad we're talking about these issues is because, one, with them being so prevalent, so popular, so inundated throughout our culture, they're for the least talked about topics in the church. And here's the other thing. When we do talk about these topics, they're the four that we're the most likely to butcher when we talk about them. And so my prayer is, and listen, I don't have all the answers. What I'm going to try to do today and in every message I ever preach is I'm going to try to tell you what the Word of God says. And at the end of the day, I know this, that the Bible is good news. That it is good news to those who have been separated from God. And it's good news to us who believe in Christ and have been reconciled to the living God. And so that's my prayer today, that when you walk out of these doors, you have heard the good news of Jesus. Um, I want to go ahead and, and kind of get the elephant out of the room, I guess, to say um, we're talking about homosexuality today. Okay? And like you say that and the, the air kind of sucks out of the room, right? And, uh, and we are. And, and here's the reality that there's homosexuals here today, right? And uh, they're not radioactive, right? They're people. They're people who have a soul. They're people who have a heart. And this is the thing I want you to know. If you are here today and you are homosexual, I want you to know that I'm glad you're here. I want you to know that I love you. I have some friends, people I, I consider friends. I don't know if they consider me a friend, but I consider them friends um, who are homosexual. And I care about these guys. And I, I love them. And this is the other thing I want you to hear today. And, and whichever side of this issue you fall on, wherever you're at, I want you to know, listen, God loves you. God loves you, and he loves you so much that he died on a cross so that in the middle of our sin that we all have, 
we can be reconciled to him. I want to share my heart just real briefly about this topic and about all the topics we're discussing this during this series. Um, I don't want you to think that I take any of these things lightly or that somehow uh, I, I've approached this flippantly. Um, this has been hard. This has been incredibly hard. You can ask my wife who has had to put up with my moodiness. And by Thursday, Friday, I'm going into this zone of concentration on what we're going to be talking about and, and almost not there. And I can tell you this from, from my heart is I've sat down with people who have walked in the middle of each of these issues. And I've sat down with people who struggled with pornography. I've sat down with people who, who, who struggled with homosexuality and who are homosexuals. I've sat down with people who um, have faced abortion. I've sat down with, with people who struggled with sex biblically. And this is what I can tell you. In some small way, I, I, I've, I've looked into their eyes and I've felt the pain that they have felt. And I want you to know that I've never carried the weight of a message or the weight of messages the way I've carried these. I do not take this lightly. I do not take this flippantly. I, I am up here simply for one person or for one, one, well, one person, Jesus Christ, and for one reason, to proclaim the truth of his word to you today. Uh, Susan can tell you that for the last three weeks, um, my stomach has been in knots, right? Um, I've had stress, like stress headaches. I don't know if you ever get those things. And uh, it's, it's been challenging. But I know that God will honor our faithfulness to the word and to who he is and um, to do the things that he's called us to do. With that said, um, I want you to know three things I don't want to do today, okay? The first thing I don't want to do is I don't want to spew hate. Some people walked in here already today with their guard up, right? And some people are, are on different sides of, of, of this issue and, and we're polarized on different sides. And what I've seen with this issue as much as any is people like to stand on opposite sides of the street and yell at each other. And I would say that what we've been doing for the last few years, the last few decades is not working. And today what I want to do is simply present the truth of the greatest news that has ever been heard by man. The gospel of Jesus, the greatest news that has ever been spoken. The gospel of Jesus. I, the second thing I don't want to do is I don't want to run anybody away from the church. That's not my goal today. That is not my goal. There's some churches that would boast of, well, we don't have homosexuals in our church. Then I would say you have a bigger issue. I don't want to run people off. I don't want, listen, I don't want anyone to ever leave the church because of struggling with anything. We need to be here to walk this out together. We need to be here to battle together, to fight together. We need to fight with the people who deal with addiction just the same way as we fight with the people who can't get, keep their mouth shut and they gossip all over town. That's what we're called to do as the church, is to battle and to fight together with one another until we all come to the fullness of Christ. The third thing I would tell you is I don't want to give you my opinions. I don't want to be up here just telling you what I think. I want to hide behind Scripture. I want you to hear Scripture today. I don't want you to hear my opinions. I want you to hear 
God's word. With those three things said, there's three things I want to ask of you. The first one is be respectful. Listen, I've told you my heart. I've got, I've got nobody in this fight. I'm just wanting to tell you the word of God. And I would ask you to do this. Listen to the entire message. Listen to the entire message. I can promise you this. I feel pretty sure I will be an equal opportunity offender today. Okay? If you are not offended at any one part of this message, wait. I will get to you. Right? And not because I want to, but just because we're going to see today that, that, man, the word convicts us all. It speaks to all of us. And so I want to ask you, the second thing is, is, is to listen to the whole message. Be respectful. Listen to the whole message and don't base your judgment off of the message and, and don't shut me out at the beginning and miss the whole thing, okay? Don't take 30 seconds of a 45 or an hour minute, maybe it won't be an hour, minute message and, and, and use it to, to justify your agenda. We're not in here today to be about agendas. We're in here today to be about Christ. The third thing is that, that I want to ask you to ask God to speak to your heart. I want you to ask God to speak to your heart in a very real way. We serve a very real and living God who still speaks to people's hearts. And I'm going to ask you to do that. In fact, what I want us to do right now is I want us to take a second and we're just going to ask God to speak to our hearts. When we come out of that, we'll get into the scripture. But right now, I want us to ask God, the living God, to speak to our hearts right here, right now, that he would turn this high school auditorium into a sanctuary of the living God and that we would hear his voice today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you, God, that you do speak. Lord, I pray that whatever walls we walked in here with, whatever biases we walked in here with, whatever judgments we walked in here with, God, that we would lay those down at your feet, that we would simply be quiet so that your voice can speak to our hearts. God, remove the walls and barriers that we have to hearing your word. And Lord, I pray just in a mighty way, you would speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 1. Um, we're going to begin reading in, in verse 18. This is just about where we're going to stay. We have a couple of other verses we'll look at. And uh, we're going to be reading to start with verses 18 through 28. And you can find that while I get a little bit of water. I don't know why. I don't know if I'm more nervous than you. I've got some dry mouth stuff going on here. So I'm going to get a little water while you find... Uh, that Bible verse, and then we'll start reading. If you need a little help, it's in the New Testament. You can find the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then Acts, then Romans, then chapter 1, verse 18. Let's read this word and see what it says to us today. Verse 18. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness and wickedness of man. What, listen, it says, against all the godliness and wickedness of man who suppress the truth, it's going to be important, by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain 
to them. Now, this is one of the most amazing scriptures in all of the Bible because it tells us that an unknown, invisible God has made himself known to us. And how has he done that? He's going to tell us in verse 20. He says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. How has he made it plain? Paul is telling us and he's telling the Romans, he's speaking to us today saying just from creation, God has made it plain to us that we know he is. I've talked about this before, but you can walk out on a clear night and you can look up at the sky and you can see all of the stars. You can think about all of the planets. You can think about how fast we're spinning around on this ball called earth and how fast, um, The earth is spinning around the sun, and yet somehow we stay attached. That's pretty amazing. But the reality of it is that we can look at nature, we can look at creation, and we can see the divine nature and the divine power of God at work around us. So he says, it's clearly seen. And then he says, so that men are without excuse. What are they without excuse for? For all they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And so he's saying, here's the problem is God made himself very apparent to people. And yet the problem is that even though they've seen him, even though he's made himself available to be recognized, they have have completely just said, God, we don't care. And and, and are living as though he does not exist. And, And then he goes on, he says, Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles will look like this. Look at this more in a little bit, but I want you to think about how this is so much mirroring the creation story of Genesis one and two, when God created everything and he created the animals, he created the sea, he created everything. And then he goes, Paul goes into this and he says that that they began to worship this creation instead of worshiping the creator. In verse 23, he says, they literally exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. It says, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things. There it is again, worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Verse 28, furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not be done. Hey, uh, what we do at Living Hope is help people to come out of homosexuality, to, to walk out of it. And I see it happen over and over and over again. Thousands of people in the last 21 years that we've been doing this. And, uh, you know, they're living healthy and whole lives. It reminds me of, if I can take a little liberty, just two minutes. You have a mic. I can't stop you, bro. Go for all it. All right. All right. Um, it, it reminds me of a, of a little guy that I knew that, um, you know, had mom, dad. They were, they were really young, had him out of wedlock. Uh, eventually, they got married. Uh, they began to pursue, you know, a life together. Dad didn't know how to be a dad. He was a kid. Mom didn't know how to be a mom. She was a kid. The little boy... Um, 
grew up in that house, and Dad went off to work and, and kind of left, went and worked offshore for a long time. He was gone for weeks on end, and he would come back occasionally. In the meantime, this little boy was really surrounded by a whole bunch of, of ladies, his mom and his aunts and his grandmothers, no grandpas, no uncles. Everybody was divorced. And finally, one of the grandmothers get, get uh, married for the third time. And uh, when she does, this man is a great guy, comes into the family, sees the little boy, gives him lots of attention. The little boy says, wow, this is great. This is incredible. This is awesome. And so this little boy gravitates toward this man. What they didn't know was that this man was actually a pedophile. And he began to abuse that little boy when he was five or six years old and really continued that relationship without anyone knowing it for the next 10, 12, 13 years. And it would happen almost on a weekly basis. And so as the little boy got and grew up through all the developmental stages of his life, he was, he was really entrapped in this lifestyle, so to speak, with his grandfather, thinking it was pretty normal. It was just what everybody did. At least that's what he thought. He went through high school, junior high school. Everything was great. Uh, he was a great kid, really smart, really bright. Everybody liked him. He did lots of great things, accomplished a lot of stuff. Got to be about 18 years old and about to graduate or had graduated, top of his class, gave his commencement address, all this kind of good stuff. Everybody looked at him, thought he was great, but inside he was all torn up and he was afraid and he couldn't believe what was happening in his heart and he didn't want to tell anybody because his shame was overwhelming. And he didn't grow up in a Christian home, didn't have the love of Jesus and the grace of God in his life. And so he just wondered, what in the world could I do? And at the end of his rope... This little boy tries to commit suicide, tries to kill himself. Luckily, that didn't happen. Uh, the mom found him, and they, they you know, got him better and, and that sort of thing. And about two weeks later, he was at that place again, ready to kill himself, ready to this time put a gun to his head and uh, just blow his brains out because he said, I just can't deal with this. The one thing he wanted was a family. It wasn't happening for him, didn't seem to have close connections with the family that he needed. And so he was ready to kill himself. He got down to the side of his bed one night because of some friends that had showed him the gospel and shared with him the gospel. He got down to the side of his bed one night and said, Lord, I, I, and I'm not even sure if you're real. I don't, I don't even know if I believe all this stuff from this old book that's written thousands of years ago by old people. I don't even know if I believe that. But if that is true, if what you say is right, if what these folks tell me about Jesus and his love and his grace is there, if that is true, God, if you don't come do something and change me, if, if you don't rescue me, then I'm not going to make it. Well, that night at the side of his bed, that little boy asked Jesus to be a part of his life and wanted to follow him, and God drew him in and accepted him and loved him, and he had Jesus meet him in that room that night. That was a crazy thing for him. He didn't understand it. When he got up, he still had a dad who was not very connected, a, a crazy family. He set out all these attractions, but he came out of that situation saying that I know God promises to be a father to the father. I know that he says he loves me. I know that I am his son. And years later, that boy would feel a call to ministry and go into ministry, and he would find a beautiful woman that he would never thought he would fall in love with any girl, but yet he found this girl, and she was the one, and he knew it, and he loved her, and she was incredibly beautiful, and he married her. And for 21 years, they've lived together, and they've had this incredible relationship, and he thinks she's the most amazing to this day, gorgeous woman he's ever seen. Matter of fact, when she walks in the room, he speaks of how his heart kind of flutters. You know how that happens when Lauren comes in the room for Absolutely. you? Yeah. Happens for me. Absolutely. You know, happens all the time. Yeah. And, and, you know, he still feels that way. Well, how do I know all that? I know all that because I'm that little boy. You know, I'm that guy that went through all that stuff. And I'm here today as a heterosexual male, married for 21 years faithfully to an incredible redheaded, green eye, five foot eleven, gorgeous woman. And I tell you that every time she enters the room, my heart flutters. Now, does it flutter for every other woman in the room? Probably not as much as maybe some of you more broken heterosexually people. But, but, um... <laughs> But nonetheless, it, it, it still flutters for her. And as far as I'm concerned, that's great because she's the only one that needs to be the apple of my eye. 
Now, do I still struggle? People ask me all the time, well, do you, you, know, you still have a problem? Do you still have attractions? Well, at this point in the journey, I've been out of it a really, 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 really long time. And now it comes as more of a nuisance and an aggravation that I know needs to be submitted to the Father's will. It's not something that's an ongoing, oh, i got to have that. Eh, no, I, I know where it comes from now. I know why it's there. I know what caused it. I know what stirs it. I know where I need to bring it. And so as a result of that, I live my life in that constant submission and repentance to the Father, knowing that He ultimately is going to be the, the filler of the deep joy and, and the longings of my heart. It's good. It's good. Pretty cool story, huh? Here's the, here's the thing, though. Sometimes when we hear those kind of stories, we can come to this place where um, we fall into a couple of traps or maybe two or three different traps with that. Um, the first one is that people who have struggled with issues that, that we, um, as, as in we, as, as just a whole body or our culture, deem to be unacceptable, oftentimes those people become trophies. Those people become trophies. And we hold them high and we say, look at this, look at what happened, look at what, what, what went on. And we forget the fact that those people have a soul that's going to spend eternity somewhere. As a church, we're not called to be spiritual trophy hunters. We're called to actually give a crap about the people in the world. Another thing that often happens is that we rejoice in behavior modification, not heart transformation. And for too many years, the church has been preaching to people, change your behavior and God will love you. Change your behavior and then your heart will change. And that is exactly backwards. God transforms our hearts and then transforms our lives. Changed hearts equal changed lives. That's why so many people can go to church for 30, 35, 40 years, sit through thousands of messages, go to every Sunday school class, and yet they've never experienced transformation in their life because their heart has never been transformed by Jesus. Transformed lives do not equal transformed hearts. Transformed hearts equal transformed lives. The third thing that can happen, the trap we can fall into, is that people hear it and think that our agenda is more important than the person. Jesus came with one purpose. That was to seek and to save that which was lost. That means me and that means you. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came for sinners who needed a savior. And why do I, so why do I tell you this story? Why, why would we take the time, five minutes of my preaching time, five minutes is going to keep you from getting home, getting the roast out of the oven and eating. Why would we tell you this story? Why would we even put it up there? Because today, I want you to come to the realization that there is no sin, there is no issue that you are facing that is out of reach of the cross of Jesus Christ. And see, some of y'all, y'all can't even clap for that. Because y'all walked in here today thinking we're going to get them. And you didn't even realize you are them. It sickens me at the bigotry and the judgmentalism that is in our church. What happened to loving people to the cross? That was free. I didn't have that in my notes. 
When Paul wrote the scripture that we read about the wrath of God and about how we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie, when he wrote these things, I want you to understand that Paul didn't write these things because, because homosexuality did not exist. Paul wrote these things because it did. Because it was very real then, just like it's very real now. That's why he wrote these things. And this is helpful to see. It's awesome to understand because the reality of the word of God is that for us today, it is just as applicable as it was on the day that he wrote this letter. It is still applicable. It's still very real. And so this issue, it's not new. It is not new. It's something that's being dealt with from the time Romans was written, from the time Jesus walked the earth, from the time that Adam and Eve ate from the stinking tree. Why? You know what I'm saying? Why? Just don't eat from one tree. You can touch it. You can smell it. You can look at it. Just don't eat. And they did. And from that time, listen, people have always had struggles. People have been dead since the day they bit the fruit. The one thing that I think is different today than ever is how much people are trying to take the scripture to justify sin how how much people are trying to take the scripture to justify their stance to how many how much people are trying to justify things that the bible is clearly against to be able to do what they desire to do i, I don't think we've ever seen uh, I'm, I'm that as rampant as it is today. And so before we get into exactly what this scripture says, I want to talk about a few things that, that the scripture does not say. Now I'll tell you this, there are things in the word of God that I guarantee you most every one of us would love to come today and say, I'm going to change that. Like, just be honest. Aren't there things in the Bible that if you could take an eraser and take them out, you would? And some of you know this from even personal relationships. Like some of you got married thinking that there's something I can change about him. How'd that work? Probably not too well. There's some of you who came into a relationship thinking, I can change her or this little thing that, that kind of bugs me right now. It's kind of cute right now, but I think I can change it on down the road. It don't work. It does not work. For instance, my beautiful wife, she just said, shut up. One of the things she inherited from her father. He's right here too. <laughs> One of the things she inherited from her father. I think it is in her DNA. I pray and I rebuke the, the, that DNA in my children every day. Is a desire to chew ice. <laughs> Anybody else? You, like, you love, like, she'll, we'll go on a trip, a three, four hour trip. She gets that much Coke and that much ice. And the whole time we're riding, it's like. <laughs> and I just want to reach over and just be like, Get, just don't stop for the love. You know, I, just quit. Just drink. And see, I don't even like I, I just like I just want the Coke. And, and she has to chew the ice the whole time. And I thought, surely when we first got married, I can change that. She'll stop. She'll quit. She don't. And so you have those awkward moments in the cars where you're like, <clears throat> what? 
And she knows after almost 13 years, did I get that right? 13 years. 13 years. And it drives me crazy. And yet I can't change. She's just, I'm, I've come to terms with the fact that she is just going to just crunch ice for the rest of her life and I'm going to have to deal with it. And so it's just reality. And when we come to the word of God, sometimes we all have those feelings of if I could just take that out, if I could just remove that. And we all come to places in our lives where where we deal with that issue. If I could just erase that, if Paul just wouldn't have said that, if Jesus had not said that, like for some of us, the whole lust thing of being adultery, you're like, oh, if I could take that one little thing out. And we can, it's there. And so we have to come to the word of God and we have to realize that our opinions and our desires can't change his character and nature, but his character and nature can change our opinions and desires. We come to the word of God and we look at it honestly. And I want us to look at a few things before we look at the scripture and exactly what it says in here. I want us to look at a few things that it does not say because I don't want us to take the word of God and try emotionally to justify a position either way that does not exist scripturally. So a few things that I want us to look at. The first one is this. A comment I hear all the time about homosexuality is how can you, a sinner, judge me for sin? And this is one like, like, I admit, like, the church has done that. And I apologize, not just to homosexuals, but to everybody. Because we, we have been the most judgmental people thinking that, that, that our feet don't stink and somehow we're better than everybody else. And, and we refuse to come down on other people's level and say, listen, I'm like you. You know, hypocrisy doesn't exist where there's transparency. Hypocrisy only exists when we claim to be something we're not. There's not one person in here who's perfect. And so I apologize. I apologize for, for bigots who, man, they'll drink gravy like water. And they'll, they'll, they'll eat everything in sight and that they're gluttons and, and they throw that out the window. And yet we look down our nose at people who struggle with issues that we don't. Or we'll neglect our families. Or we'll neglect our children. And, and then we look down our nose at everybody who struggles with issues that we don't struggle with. I would say that, listen, listen. When, when, when we talk about homosexuality, or we talk about any other sin or any other issue in the Bible, the thing we have to come to is a realization that the problem that the problem where we have to get to is not the sin. What we need to talk about is repentance. What we need to talk about is turning from, from the things that we have put ahead of God and turning to our loving heavenly father. The second thing that I often hear is, is an argument from nature is that people look at nature and God's, God's created um, nature and they say, well, you know, there are animals who actually have homosexual relationships. And so we look at almost a, a lesser thing to try to justify um, uh, this, the, 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 the human race. But we really can't do that because, listen, and some of you ladies will, will like, you'll probably get a kick out of this. There are insects that after having sex, they kill the male. Right? I, for one, do not want to go back to that. And so we can't really look at nature and derive what's right or what's wrong. We really can't look at that. Another one is that they say Jesus never talked about homosexuality. 
And again, I'm going to encourage you. Let's, listen, you need to hear me out on this. But in Matthew 15, verses 18 through 20, this is what Jesus says. He says, but the things that come out of the, out of the mouth come from the heart. And these things make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. He said, but he never mentions homosexuality. The word for sexual immorality is actually a word called pornea. In Greek, it's a word called pornea, and, and basically it includes all types of sexual immorality. We have to remember where Jesus is coming from. Jesus was Jewish. He was speaking to a Jewish audience. He's talking to people who understood what was covered under this huge umbrella of pornea. Um, if you look up the definition of the word, it speaks of all of these different types of things. Jesus basically throws an umbrella over every type of sexual immorality that exists. And this is one of them, homosexuality. Paul, um, another one is that Paul does not mean homosexuality. He means homosexuality that is promiscuous. That's promiscuous. And, and in Romans chapter 1, you can flip back over there. Romans chapter 1, what they'll say is that that's not what he's speaking of in verse 26. He's not speaking of just homosexual relationships in general, but he's speaking about homosexual relationships that are promiscuous. But the thing that we have to realize is that the term that is translated there for unnatural relations, for unnatural ones, is, is Greek. And you know I'm not a Greek, um, like, I'm not, I can't speak Greek very fluently, but the word is paraphesis. Paraphesis. And they say that this word does not mean homosexuality per se, that it only means homosexuality that is promiscuous. But even if you go back to Greek literature of the day, this word was translated to mean homosexuality per se in general, not just homosexuality that was promiscuous. Also, if you look at verse 27, it says, In the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed. In other words, they began to burn with lust for one another. So we got to realize that the translation of this text is a translation that literally means homosexuality in general. Number five, Paul does not mean homosexuality that is natural for you, only if you are heterosexual and are having homosexual sex. That's another argument that's very popular today, that people would say when he says that they exchange natural relations for unnatural ones. But here's the problem with that. This is not about people who are naturally heterosexual having homosexual relationships. There's no way that it possibly could be when the scripture says that men burned for other men. This was not something they were making themselves do. It was a desire that they had. And so there's no way that the scripture could literally be saying, listen, if, if you um, are, are heterosexual and you burn for somebody to have homosexual relationships, then that's sin. But if you're homosexual and you have homosexual relationships, then it's okay. Basically, whatever's natural to you, do it. And whatever's natural to you, do it. Just don't do what's not natural. And it's simply not what the text is saying here. It's just simply not what the text is referring to. Another one is that modern scholarship has revealed the truth. And, and this kind of goes along with like some type of enlightenment that we've had in the last 50 years that 
um, the people who were uh, interpreting the scripture back in the day, um, that they had it wrong. And somehow now in the last 50 years, our eyes have been opened and we can clearly interpret the scripture. Um, it, it's kind of that whole enlightenment thought. And, and these, these last two, just do what's natural or um, now we're smarter than they were. Um, they, they're really um, just, they really, if you look at our culture, don't they just go along with culture? Do whatever feels good. And now we're smarter than everybody else that's ever walked the face of the earth. But the reality of it is, listen, the further you get away from the truth, the, from, from the time it was spoken or the time it was interpreted, we don't get more accurate, do we? We typically tend to want to drift further and further away from the truth. And the reality of it is that we can't say that we were somehow or now are somehow smarter than everybody else that ever interpreted the scriptures from the day it was penned until now. We've got to realize that typically when something new, some type of new theology is introduced is typically always wrong. Almost always. The last one that I would tell you is that if you're not hurting anyone else, what's wrong with it? But I would say this. I would say the question that we need to answer today is not does it hurt someone else? But the question we need to answer today is what does God say? What does God say? These are some of the most common arguments in our day that that people have. And we could expound on them more and more and more and more. But the reality of what we have to see and the reality of what the scripture teaches, and we're going to look at this a little bit more here in just a minute, is that bottom line with an honest interpretation of scripture, with an honest interpretation of Romans chapter one and the rest of scriptures that speak to this issue, we can't come away from homosexuality saying that it is anything other than a sin. And I've looked into the eyes of people who have homosexual orientation, who, who are walking in this, that this is their real life. And I've seen the pain, and I've seen the hurt. And you can ask my family how much it hurts me to say that. But when I come honestly to the Scripture and I peel back layers of emotion, and I honestly look at what it says, I cannot come up with any other conclusion. But that homosexuality is a sin. And that is just the way, it it doesn't have to be popular. So then, what do we do with this? I mean, do do we walk away from this text saying that, Homosexuals are bound to hell. I mean, isn't that what we've been saying for all the, all the last hundred years? Two hundred years, however long? That homosexuals, they're, they're going to hell. Isn't that kind of the easy thing to do? To just say, you're all going to hell. I would say you'll probably beat them there. I would say you will probably beat them there. What is our heart? Is our heart really to see people reconciled back to Jesus? Back to God? Or is it to cast stones at people and say, you suck. You're terrible. How do we deal with it? I want to go back to Romans 1. And I want to tell you this. I want to give you three points out of this scripture that I hope will be encouraging to you wherever you are. 
I hope that it'll be encouraging to you whatever issue or whatever struggles you have. My prayer is that when we get through with this today, you will see. You will see the good news of the gospel. The first thing I want to tell you is that Romans 1 tells us what's wrong with all areas of sin. Romans 1 tells us what's wrong with all areas of sin. This is not a scripture about homosexuality. This is a scripture about fallen humanity. This is a scripture about the sin that plagues every one of us. If you look at this scripture from verse 18 to verse 32, from 18 to 32, he uses the words they, them, and their 21 times, beginning in verse 18. And I said this earlier, but I'll say it again. There are a lot of people who walked in today thinking we're going to get them. And the reality is we are them. We are the ones Paul's speaking to. We're the ones who all of humanity has fallen. We've fallen short of the glory of God. Paul begins to build this argument and he goes through um, the Gentiles to the, the people who are more, more trying to be moral and trying to live out a good enough life to get to God. And then he goes to the Jews and he says in verse 3, it climaxes to this point of saying, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means me and that means you. This, this chapter, these scriptures, they're not about a sin. They're about all areas of sin. The problem with sexual sin in the church is this. We have isolated it away from everything else, made it something separate, and it simply is not. We will be patient with anybody with anything going on in their life except for sexual sin, and then we want to throw them out. I've seen it with my own friends who have come to a place where they finally got the courage to admit their struggles and they go, well, we didn't really mean that you could tell us that. That's too real. That's too heavy. No, we, we, we can't deal with that. But all of our gossip and all of our bigotry and all of our hate and all of our love for money and all of our love for ourselves and all of our love for everything else, it is okay. But we, we're going to isolate this out. You know why we do it is because for most of the people in this room, you've never dealt with it. And so it's easy for us to find fault with somebody else and what they deal with rather than actually stepping in and saying, you know what, man, I know everybody else has turned their back on you. I know everybody else thinks that you're some kind of alien from another planet. And the thing that I want you to know is that I'll walk through this with you. Is that I'm here for you. The hardest part of preaching this message for me is I don't want to hurt anybody. You don't come to be a pastor like with, with the right heart and say, I hope I just piss everybody off. <laughs> That's not my goal. That's not my heart. And listen, we are all jacked up. We are all messed up. We need to realize that Romans 1 is not dealing with home. This scripture was not written for the homosexual. It was written for me and for you. For us. For the church. The second thing I want you to see in these scriptures is that Paul gives us the pattern of sin. He gives us steps that, that he mentions three different times in three different ways. And the first one is this. The pattern for all sin, listen, 
is that we have exchanged the glory of God for the creation. He says this three times, listen, in verse 23 and 25 and 28. Hey, listen, verse 23 says, And they've exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Verse 25. He says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Verse 28a, furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not be done. The first step in all sin is that we trade or we exchange the glory of God for a lie. That is what we have all done. This is not a homo thing. This is not a hetero thing. This is a sin thing. We have all traded and exchanged the truth of God for a lie. This is just how it is. The second thing that we see in the scriptures is, is in verse 24, 26, and again in 28. It says in verse 24, it says, Therefore God gave them over in sinful desires to their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. And then it goes on in 26, and he says, Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. And then in 28, in the next part of that, it says, He gave them over to a depraved mind. So God ultimately says in the second part of our, our sin journey, He says, Okay, you want to pursue that, go ahead. And I, I don't know, like, listen, listen, I don't know if y'all are, are catching this, but at this point, we're kind of moving away from this homosexual topic to where we're all in this. I don't know, I, I, I hope you're seeing this, that this is not an issue of homosexuality. This is an issue of idolatry. This is an issue that we all struggle with. Listen to verse uh, 24 uh, again in 27 and 28. He says at the end of 24, he says that, that they, they gave, them, gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. It says in 27, it says in the same way the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. In 28c, it says that um, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. And listen, in every one of our lives, when God says, okay, go after that, pursue that, run after it, take off, go. And, and, and he says, listen, just pursue it. If that's what you really want, go after it. Whatever it is that you're putting ahead of me, go after it. The third thing that we see is, is that the results of that begin to manifest in our lives. We begin to see that. We begin to see that, that man, listen, we can't live separated from God. We can't have joy and peace and patience separated from God. And this is what Paul is simply saying is, listen, our idolatry has robbed us from from relationship with God. He's saying all the way back from the creation story, it, it wasn't a thing of homosexuality. It was a thing of sin. All mankind fell short of the glory of God when Adam and Eve sinned. And since that day, we have been reeling. Man, men have followed the pattern of their first father, Adam. Women, you follow the pattern of, of Eve. And, and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And we need to realize that this is not singling out homosexuality. This is singling out our idolatry. I would even say that the problem for us is not a multitude of sins. The problem is one sin, that we have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. 
That's what's happened in the church. That's what's happened in the world is that we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. We have, have pursued idols. And listen, I know back in the day, man, they, they had statues of different animals. They had statues of men and, and half God, half, half men type things. And they worship those things. But we're no different in idolatry today. Listen, they might just have a different form. Some of us worship our jobs. Some of us worship our kids. Some of us worship our, our spouse. Some of us worship our money. Some of us worship our 501 or our, our, our whatever that retirement. I don't have one, so I don't know what it's called. But we worship all these different things. And so the problem that we have to see is that our hearts are wicked. As a people, our hearts are wicked. We've turned from God. The third thing that we see in the scripture is that Paul tells us our deepest problem. And I want you to hear this. Our deepest problem is not hetero. It's not homo. It's not pornography. It's not abortion. It's not same-sex marriage. It's not gossip. It's not slander. It's not gluttony. Gluttony. In fact, there aren't even a lot of sins. Paul's list are not exhaustive. There are plenty of them that we can add to this list. What Paul is telling us is that our number one issue is bringing our hearts before him that we would come to him we would turn our lives back to him to worship him the only one who can bring us satisfaction and joy our greatest issue and problem is that we've turned our hearts from the glory of God to worship creation all of creation was given to us that we would be able to receive it to recognize the blessing and then to turn that around and worship Him. Not to hold the creation or even make our worship about us, but that His blessing in our life and His goodness in our life will turn our praise back to Him. And Paul's saying that mankind has turned from this to worship other things. That's why he goes on in Romans one twenty nine. And he says, they become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They, isn't that kind of crazy, though? Like He's like throwing all this stuff out there, and then he's like, and then you didn't do what your mom said. It's just weird. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God, God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do these very things, but to also approve of those who practice them. We've got to realize that Paul's use of homosexuality in this scripture is not going after behavior. Paul's list of things here in the scripture is not going after our behavior. He is going after our hearts. He uses homosexuality not because it is worse, but because it was an obvious deviation from the creation, which was his entire argument to begin with. He is not singling out homosexuality and neither should we. Neither should we. That's why he follows up verses 18 through 28 with 29 and 32. The problem is not sexual sin, but our wicked hearts. Last thing I want to tell you, and we're going to get out of here, is that we showed you that video earlier, and, and I made the statement 
that there is no sin. There is nothing that is represented in this room today that is out of reach of the cross. Nothing. Nothing. That in Jesus is all sufficiency for the forgiveness of sin. And the Holy Spirit is all power for us to live a life that honors and glorifies God for each one of us. We need to realize that that is what Jesus did on the cross. That is what God has done for us. I want you to hear um, in chapter 5, verse 21. It says that God made him, meaning Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You know, Paul did not single out any one thing that he said, well, you know what, if you deal with this, too bad. It simply said that Christ became sin for us. The one who had no sin became sin so that we could be reconciled back to the Father. So that we could come to know Him in a very real way. Basically, 2 Corinthians 5.21 is the antithesis to Romans 1.18-32. Romans 1.18-32 is about the most grievous exchange in history that takes place every day. Our exchanging the glory of God for idols. That is what that scripture is about. 2 Corinthians 5.21 is about the greatest exchange in history that is available every day. Jesus, the perfect one, becoming imperfect, becoming sin, so that we can live a free and saved life. That's what this is about. I want you to understand that on the cross, all of our sin and our imperfection and our iniquity, all of the sin of the world met heaven and heaven won. That's what the Christian life is. It is overcoming sin by the power of God. I know I have ticked people off on both sides of this issue, but I'm doing the best I can to tell you what the scripture says. And the good news at the end of the day is that Jesus won. Jesus won. He overcame all Sin. There is no sin beyond the reach of the cross. And there's no sin beyond the power of Jesus Christ. Get me another little swig of water. I want to leave you today with two questions. They both come out of Romans chapter 2, right after the scriptures we've just been reading. Verse 1, he says, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them, and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness Tolerance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance. The first question I want to ask is to the church. Are you willing to offer others the same patience that God has offered you?
Are you willing to offer patience to all of these messed up people, including myself, as we walk out this life together? Are you willing to do that? And we can, we can, we can say all of these things and we can do, but at the end of the day, are we willing to walk with people to fight the battle together? Are we? You know, when I, when I came to the Lord, I talked about that some last week and, man, if God hadn't been patient with me, I don't know what I would have done. God hadn't loved me through all of the, the warts and all of the, the bad things in my life. I don't know what I would have done. And I know some of you, and I know how patient God has been with you. Are you willing to offer the same patience as we learn to walk together, as we are created and made into the image of Jesus? Are you willing to walk this out together? God's still working on every person in here. I was thinking about it this week, and it was like, I was thinking about when Reed was a baby. He's still kind of a baby, but he's, he's, he's older. When he was a little, 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 little baby, and he began to crawl, and then he began to walk. And, and we'd stand him up, and I remember I was at home by myself one day, and I'd, I'd go over to one side of the room, and I'd set him down, and I'd be like, okay, Reed, wait, 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 wait. And I'd be like, come here, come here. Come on, boy, come on, boy. And then he kind of, bam, and he'd fall. And then I'd go back, and I'd set him up, and I'd be like, wait, 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 wait. And then he'd try to walk, he'd go, uh, you know, and he, he would try to walk and he'd fall. But you know the thing I didn't do is that when he took a step and he began to fall and he hit the ground, I didn't go, Reed, you're horrible. What the heck, Reed? You're like a year old. Come on. What's wrong with you? There's a church we do that all the time. People stumble and they fall and they're caught in sin and they're caught in different things. And we go, what's wrong with you? And the whole time we've got our own jacked up issues we're dealing with. Are we willing to come alongside people with patience? The same patience that God gave us. That Listen, Romans 2, 4 is another one of my favorite verses because it talks about how patient God has been with me. Are we willing to be patient with other people? Are we willing? Listen, Reed was trying to walk, man. He was doing a terrible job of it, but he was trying to walk. As we try to walk, are we willing to to help? Because I want you to know from my heart to your heart, I will walk and I will fight as long as we have to fight, but let's make it a fight. I will battle and I will rage war with you side by side as long as it takes, but let's make it a battle. And let's remember at the end of the day, we have won the war. The second question I have for you, and and I'm going to leave you with this. There's no music. There's no nothing. We're just going to make this awkward Sunday. (laughs) The second question I have is for every person in this room. Are you willing today to come to a place in your life and in your faith where you offer yourself completely and wholly to God? Are you willing? This is, this is a brand new journal. It's like one of the 4,000 we gave away the last three weeks. I think everybody took five. Um, but are you willing to bring your life to God and say, Lord, here's my life. Listen, this is every day from this day forward. 
Nothing written on it, is there? Every day from this day forward and today, God, I'm surrendering my life to you. I'm giving the pen to you. I'm giving the journal to you. Write your will on my heart. Take my heart of stone and break it and give me a heart that loves you, a heart of flesh and write your decrees on my heart. Bring me to be closer to you. Use my life like an empty journal that every day from this day forth is a new page that God writes His story on. Some of us today in this room right now and some people who are going to watch this on on video or hear it on a podcast, what you need to realize is that you are not the main character of this story. He is. We are simply simply in his hands to be used in whatever way he sees fit to bring us, bring him glory. Now, are you willing to offer your life to him that every day that your foot hits the ground, you surrender to him? God, have your way in our lives. I surrender my hopes and I surrender my dreams and I surrender everything that I am or will ever be everything that I have or will ever have I surrender to you God listen when we we talk about idolatry and we talk about all these things I want you to understand we've all got them some of us put them out on the shelf for people to see and some people keep them hidden in a closet But we've all got them. And the reality of this today is I'm begging you. In 2 Corinthians 5, before verse 21, he says, be reconciled to God. And my heart today is that you would see that today through Christ you can be reconciled to the Father. Today that you would see that Acts 3.19 is true, that if we will repent and turn to God through Christ, times of refreshing will come upon us I pray that we would be the church that Jesus died for us to be loving and encouraging one another doing everything we can to grow to the fullness of faith in him and I pray that somehow God would speak to our hearts and we would truly see our deepest need for him let's pray Lord Thank you for today and God, thank you for loving us. And I pray, God, that each person in here today would would know that you do love them, God, and that you would draw us to you. God, I pray that we would just simply surrender our lives. That we would die to ourselves and our own desires and our own dreams. And that, God, we would remove the idols from our life. God, so many of us, our idol is us. And we would simply just Die to us and live for you. God, it has been some kind of uncomfortable here today. But Lord, I thank you that you are a very real present presence in our life. And I pray that as we leave here, we will walk, God, in the power of your spirit, in the power of your love, in the power of your grace. As we turn from anything in the world that distracts us and turn our hearts to you. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.